Money Pit is brought to you by Click Studios. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And we are here to help you with your home improvement projects. What's on your to-do list? Give us a call now at 1-888-MONEYPIT. If it's a project you want to do yourself, fantastic. If it's one that perhaps you want to contract out, we can talk to you about what needs to be included in that arrangement so it gets done right the first time. And if it's anything in between, well, we'll sort it out together at 888 888- 666-3974. Coming up this hour, if your home is feeling a little cramped, well, taking out some walls to open that space up could be a solution. If you know how, we're going to have some tips on how to safely remove even load-bearing walls without your house falling down around you, which is always a good thing. Yeah, that's definitely a good thing. And also ahead, now that we're knee-deep into the winter season, adding more insulation is one of the most effective ways that you can cut your heating costs and improve your comfort but there are now many options. We're going to help you identify the one that's best for you just ahead. And while adding more insulation can be a do-it-yourself job, what about a project like replacing your kitchen cabinets? Well, even that big job can be DIY if you start with a solid design. We're going to share a no-cost service that can do just that. Plus, let's get to your calls at one 888 Money Pit, 888-666-3974. Let's get to it. Leslie, who's first? Jane in Florida is on the line and needs some help with some duct cleaning. What's going on at your money pit? Well, the problem is I don't know how to have the ducts cleaned. I don't know what would be the best way to do it. Well, the best way to clean the ducts is to not do it yourself. (laughs) Correct. No. (laughs) That makes sense. When I was young, I used to. Now I cannot. First of all, generally, I only recommend duct cleaning if you've done some major construction. I don't think it's a it's a regular thing that you have to do all the time. What I think where most people drop the ball is on the filtration system. If you don't um, have a good quality air filter and if you don't replace it frequently enough, that's what lets a lot of air, a lot of dirty air escape uh, into the house and, and just contribute to breathing difficulties and make it harder to keep the house clean and so on. So unless you've done some construction, I, I don't necessarily think duct cleaning is the answer. I think- construction was probably done before I moved in, so it might be a good idea. I've been here a long time, but um, I do the. I have a great air conditioner with a special uh, filter and everything. Um, so I'm thinking there might be, you know, I've lived in apartments and condos before, and when I checked them, they hadn't been cleaned for decades. So I'm thinking that it might be a good idea to have them cleaned. My air conditioning company says no. They don't clean them because um, air conditioning ducts in Florida are not metal, like the ducts up north that I had done up there. So I'm wondering if there's a different method of cleaning them than using water. I don't think you need to clean your ducts, as I said. I think if you have a good air filtration system, and by the way, your air conditioning and your heating system are using the same uh, ventilation system. So the thing is about filters, there are a lot of different levels of filters, and you need to get one that is really efficient. The inexpensive ones that you buy at home centers generally um, aren't going to do the trick. What you really want to do is have a good quality one that has a lot of filter material to it. That's what scrubs the air, and that's what's going to you know make that dust disappear, keep the house cleaner, and make it a lot easier to breathe. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Brad and I was on the line with a siding question. What can we do for you today? I've got an old caboose in my backyard. It's a long story, but uh, it's a wooden caboose. I got it in 1985, and I uh, shortly after I got it, I or 
not too much longer after that. I had to put new siding on it because the uh, place where I got it had sandblasted it, and it really did a job on the wood. So um, now the siding was a one by four uh, V groove, tongue and groove, all the way along. And now it's about 25 foot long, eight foot high, and then where the cupola is, it's about 12 foot high. But uh, the, the siding I replaced it with was uh, a pine car siding with a V groove to keep it looking original. And I backed that after I took the old siding off with uh, an exterior grade plywood. And uh, so it's been quite a while, but it's deteriorated really bad due to the high moisture content we have up here in Iowa. And then we get the extreme hot and cold. And uh, I have to replace it, and I ran out of time this year. So come springtime, I'll have a big project. But I don't want to make the same mistake over again and have it just rot out again. And I don't know if I'm choosing the wrong type of lumber or if I'm not treating it, prepping it right, or like house wrap, or if I need special ventilation or something, because I keep it closed up most of the time. Well, I got to say, first off, Brad, this is the first caboose repair question we've ever received, (laughs) (laughs) which is kind of cool. Um, it sounds like you put that plywood, you put the plywood on the, on the, on the structure and then you put the siding right on top of the plywood. Did you have any building paper underneath that uh, siding or did it go right on the plywood? No, I, I, when I took the old siding off, there wasn't anything on it. It had, um, a peculiar kind of insulation and, and some of that stayed and some of it I took out, but, uh, it's only got four inch, uh, four or six inch lumber in it. Uh, but you said you sheathed it with a plywood. Oh, my, my question to you is, did you put the ply, Did you put the siding right on top of that plywood or did you put a building paper or house wrap in between? I put uh, I put uh, 30 pound felt paper on it. So it's wear and tear. It, the wear and tear is mostly not because you installed it incorrectly, but it's just because it's like you say, it's a, it's a moist, humid envir- environment there that probably causes a lot of decay. Would you consider putting something besides lumber back on that because i gotta tell you there's a lot of really beautiful very authentic looking composite materials that are out there today uh that look just like wood in fact i would dare to say they're almost indistinguishable from wood um, but they're not organic so they don't rot i mean you have materials like hardy plank you have materials like novic you have materials like azek there's a lot of good composites out there that can look a lot like wood Uh, but not rot and not decay. I I installed it vertically instead of horizontally, and that was the problem with the car siding. And I thought maybe I didn't give it enough time to adjust to acclimate to our weather. I don't think so. I mean, first of all, it's hard to keep that kind of siding completely (laughs) leak-free. Because it's, you know, it's basically the water's going to get into those grooves. So I think you got an authentic look to it, but um, you know I don't, I think it's probably done the best you can do, you you can with that. So I would tell you you're either just going to have to replace it the same way you did the first time, but I would strongly encourage you to investigate the many many composite materials that are out there today that can look just like that, but will absolutely never decay. Well, I appreciate that. I, I I've given that strong consideration, even if I had to uh, do a little milling on my own. I'm pretty good at lumber work, but uh, well, that's a that's a great tip. Uh, I've I just really don't know anybody to ask, and and not too many people are into this. I suppose there's being a few restored around the country. They don't use them anymore. All right, well, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. 
You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. What are you working on fresh into this new year? Give us a call. We'd love to lend you a hand with whatever it is, whether it's a home repair or home improvement, or even if you're just planning a project for the new year, we're here to give a hand 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 1-888-MONEYPIT. 888-666-3974. Up next, if you love open floor plans but haven't transformed your home into one because of all those pesky walls that are always in the way? Well, fear not. Even load-bearing walls can be removed if you know how. We'll let you know how to approach that project next. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring, we get sucked with allergens, too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Today's Money Pit is presented by Mr. Beams, lighting solutions that can be installed in five minutes. No wires, no electrician, no kidding. Find Mr. Beams lights at major retailers and learn more at MrBeams.com. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. So have you put away all your holiday decor? Is the house reset once again for the year ahead? We've almost completed that. (laughs) But we'd love to hear what you're working on at 888 Pit. What about you, Leslie? Are you all cleaned up yet? I mean, come on. You know I always try to stretch it out to my birthday and make a birthday treat for February, but it never quite makes it. You know, I am dealing, though, with like a mystery this year. A mystery? Yeah. I put away some of the ornaments that we didn't use. I kept them back into there. You know, I use those plastic bins that are all divvied up, and I put tissue in to protect all the ornaments. And I put it back in like this sort of utility closet on the side of the laundry room that has like a bunch of water lines running through it. And I pulled out the carton, and clearly there's been some sort of a leak. There was some water on the top, like a little bit, but there's mold all on the tissue. The ornaments that I had left in there were a little moldy. I mean, I've taken everything out. I've cleaned it. I've dried it out. But I have no idea where this water came from. So the only thing I can think of is maybe it was like wind-driven rain through something in the foundation, but it's totally mysterious. Well, you said this was in the laundry room or near the laundry room, so it's a humid area? Yeah, but I mean, this was clearly like water, not just humidity, because nothing else in there had it. If you have cold water pipes that are going through there and you have warm, humid air, what you could be getting is condensation that drips on the pipes and then drips down on the box and then evaporates. So you know when you're looking for the leak, it's already gone. It only happens in certain temperatures conditions. So it could very well be a condensation issue. So if that's the case, what you want to do is 
find those cold water pipes and just put a sleeve of insulation on them and it'll all go away. Yeah, I mean, because everything does run through there. It's like it runs out to the spigot for the outdoor water supply. It runs to the sink upstairs for the kitchen. Like, it's just amazing. It looks like the Goonies. Remember when the kids are walking through that <laughs> underground and there's just pipes everywhere? That's what this little closet looks like. Yeah, that might be it. That's pretty smart. That was not what I was thinking. I literally was like touching every pipe and turning in every valve and making sure nothing was leaking. Well, you're doing all the right things, but the thing is, uh, the answer is, is, is everything that you didn't do, and that's just condensation. Sometimes it just is a weather condition like that that only exhibits itself. I mean, it's like you mentioned wood-driven and worry, and that's the same kind of thing. It doesn't happen every day, but when it does, it can be quite a mess. But when you said uh, laundry area, I know it's in the basement. You've got all the piping going through there. It's damp, humid space, and if you've got cold water lines coming through... Year-round, not just in the summer, you can get moisture that collects on those pipes and drips down and, and causes it. So the good news is it's probably a very minor fix. And you know what? Sometimes if you call us expecting a major repair, we might have a minor fix for you, too. But find out for yourself. Pick up the phone and dial one eight 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 Money Pit. Pat in South Dakota, you've got the Money Pit. What can we do for you today? Yeah, I have a question about some flooring. Um, our flooring is about 25 years old. We have carpet and um, vinyl laminate on about 800 square feet. And I know the subfloor is good, but I want to pull up the old carpets and lay some flooring down. And I saw some um, vinyl, some of the new vinyl plank stuff. Now, I've laid a um, laminate floor before that had the backing attached, and that wasn't too bad. And I was just curious, um, the main floor, I want to do it all together because it all runs together, but it's got a bathroom um, just a quarter bath and a kitchen and a dining room and a family room and a landing and a hall. So there's lots of corners and stuff like that. And I'm just curious um, what your opinion is on that new vinyl plank flooring, if it's easier to install, more durable. Yeah, I think you're, you're talking about the uh, engineered vinyl plank, I think, the EVP. It's like the rubberized vinyl. Um, it looks like a plank. Some of them glue together with like an overlap tab that has an adhesive already on it. Some of them you actually put an adhesive down, almost like a mastic, and then apply it like a tile. So it depends on which kind you're looking at because one of them is much thicker than the other, and they both then have a different prep and a different adhesion process. So I think you really need to look into which that is. Mm-hmm. Now, the one I saw at the home show here locally was it was kind of it was a vinyl you could bend it and it looked like a wood grain but it was um kind of a quick together installation but it wasn't like the the solid the firm and you know laminate flooring that clicks together it wasn't soft you know you you can't bend that but this vinyl stuff you could bend and it look pretty nice. Yeah, Pat, you're talking about a product called EVP or engineered vinyl plank. That's another type of vinyl flooring, much newer uh, to the market. Um, but from what I've seen of it, it's 100% waterproof. It does click together much like uh, other types of laminate floor would. And the finish on it is super durable. Lumber Liquidators makes one that has a 30-year finish on it, and uh, it looks just like wood. So that is definitely another option for you. Now, do you um, you know, the, the stuff I've laid before already has the backing attached. The quick-together laminate, that has backing attached. Now, for something like this, do you just lay it right over the subfloor and the um, linoleum in the case as long as it's even and good? Yeah. In fact, this is a floating floor, much like a regular laminate floor would be. So it's not adhered to the old floor. It lays on top of it. So as you say, as long as the floor is flat with no big, you know, dips or or bumps or humps in it, you know, then it just is going to lock together and lay right there, and you're going to trim it along the edge against the baseboard molding. Okay. Well, thank you for your 
your help. You're welcome. Good luck with that project. Well, if you love open floor plans but haven't transformed your home into one because, you know, load-bearing walls that are in the way and maybe you can remove them, well, those walls can be removed even if they are load-bearing, but you have to know how, guys. You can't just go at everything with a hacksaw. you got to know what's up. Well, it's true, but while we usually say that projects are not as hard as they seem, this one definitely is. <laughs> it's not something that a novice do-it-yourselfer should attempt whatsoever. Now, Tom, I mean, we know this, but what are some of the clues if you're just looking around your house that would tell you this is a load-bearing wall without actually looking at a plan? The load-bearing wall, by definition, is the wall is a wall that holds the structure above it. And in, say, a ranch design or a colonial, these are usually the walls that are parallel with the front and rear walls of the home. And they usually go right down the middle of the house, kind of it's like the hallway um, or the wall between the kitchen and the rest of the house. Those walls parallel with the front and rear, right sort of in the middle, those are almost always load-bearing. And just because it's a load-bearing wall doesn't mean it can't be moved. It can, but you have to support what it's holding up. And the way the process works is you build temporary walls in front and behind the wall that you want to take out. Then you disassemble the wall and figure out how you're going to carry that load. Sometimes if you just want to put an opening there, you may be pulling out a section of the wall and putting in a beam. Or you may decide that the beam, you want it to be flush with the ceiling, so you're cutting up into the second floor joist. But you do that work while this wall is temporarily supported. And then once the new wall is in place and all built properly and inspected, which is very important, then you pull out those temporary walls and you're good to go. So there's a lot of steps involved. It's a lot of work, but it can be done. And if your goal is to have an open floor plan, it is entirely possible. Now, I think another good idea is if you really can't get that open space or if you you know, don't want to undertake such a huge project, you could probably just maybe do a pass through from one room to the next, you know, just sort of like a, is that what they call it? When it's like a small cutout and maybe you have like a little, little ledge there that you can dine at. You could have that pass through from say a kitchen to a dining room that might open the space. But I think there's some other tricks, you know, mirrors and lighting do a lot to really make a room feel bigger. And depending on where the mirror is, it can really reflect other spaces within the house to make that room feel so much bigger or feel like you've got passageway into another part. I think also paint colors, you know, don't be afraid to use lighter colors or mix your colors so that you've got a lighter wall with some other areas of a darker tone of the same paint. This way it'll make that room feel bigger in its own right. So whether you want to get out the tools and take the wall apart or just sort of come up with a decorating solution, there are lots of ways to make that space feel bigger. If you've got a project like that in mind, give us a call right now. We'd love to chat about it. one 888 Pit. Susan in Texas is on the line with a water question. What's going on? My daughter has a country home she just purchased, and there's a 900-foot deep water well on it. And she wanted to know, does she need to use a water softener or a carbon filter for the drinking water? And also, how much electricity would that use, that water well? Well, the first thing she needs to do is to have a comprehensive water test done. Was that done? I believe so, because they had inspectors come out. But I don't remember what she said. Yeah, well, I wouldn't believe anything unless I had a result back from a, from a water testing laboratory. That's going to tell you what kind of treatment you need to do locally. So the first thing she needs to do is to get a water test done, a thorough water test done, that's going to check for uh, all sorts of contaminants and pesticides and that sort of thing. And then based on that, you can determine 
what you want to do to treat the water, but you just don't start treating it first. You start with the test, and the test is what determines what needs to be treated. Make sense? Yes, lots of sense, yes. All right, good luck, Susan. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Well, this time of year has got a lot of people feeling the chill in all different parts of the country. If that's what's going on at your Money Pit, we're going to help you sort through what types of insulation will work best for you, give you the best performance, and help you save some energy dollars after this. Hi, I'm Kevin O'Connor, host of This Old House on PBS. From floorboards to shingles, you're tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show with Tom and Leslie. On the Money Pit Radio Show, pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home by calling 888-MONEY-PIT. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. Money Pit. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Here's a good winter tip. If you want to stop a pipe break from flooding your house when you're away, what you want to do is get in the habit of always turning off your main water line when you take off. It's really pretty easy. Once you find the main water line, it's usually in the lowest part of your house, closest to the street that you live on, the main street. So if you have a basement, it's going to be in the basement. Um, if you have a first floor, it might be, I found them inside sink cabinets and lavatories that were you know on that front wall of the house. But find that main water valve, put a tag on it that says main water valve. And when you go away, just turn it off. Once it's off, the worst thing that can happen if you get a pipe freeze or a 
pipe break is the water that's in the pipe will leak out, but your entire house will not be washed down the street <laughs> when you return because the water just ran and ran and ran. And I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen on vacant houses. Uh, I remember one in particular, Leslie, it was owned by a relocation company. I showed up a few days before the closing to do an inspection, make sure everything was okay. Well, it wasn't because there was four feet of water in the lower half of that house, four feet. It was a split-level house, and it was a swimming pool because a pipe broke, it was vacant, and it just ran and ran and ran and ran. So the easy way to avoid that, if your house is going to be empty for just a weekend or more, turn off the main water valve, and you can't possibly have a major problem. Well, if your winter heating bill is sending a chill down your spine, you are not alone. Millions of Americans are feeling the chill in their wallets and in their homes. Well, part of the cure is more insulation in your attic, but insulation comes in many different types. So how do you know what to use? Here to give us an overview of the options is this old house general contractor, Tom Silva. Welcome, Tommy. Well, thank you. It's nice to be here. Every day we're seeing more and more types of insulation hit the market. How do we compare insulation in terms of performance to really make the best decision for our homes? Well, you're right. There are a lot more of insulations out there now than there ever were. And it's really the, think of the insulation as the R value or the thermal, thermal resistance to the heat flow that is either leaving your house or coming into your house. And that R value is how it's measured, right? Exactly. Per inch. And it's usually like an R13. It would be for a two by four wall. R38 could be for an attic. Uh, and you want to make sure that you have the right value for the area of the country that you live in because the codes require different grades of insulation or so different R values. if you're in Minnesota, you're going to have a lot more insulation in your attic, for example, than, say, if you're in New Jersey, where I am. Exactly. Well, like, for example, in New England, where we are, the, the building code says R38, but as of this year, I think they're going to change it to R40, and the walls are R20 or R21. So, oh, the old R13 and the 2x4 wall won't pass building code. And I think what surprises a lot of Americans is when they actually do look into what the recommended R values are for their particular area is they just don't have enough. They don't have enough. No, I don't. I think more houses don't have enough insulation than do. That's for sure. So, Tommy, with so many different kinds of insulations available, you've got spray foam insulation, you've got cellulose insulation, you've got fiberglass to achieve R value. Is it the same across the board? Does that number sort of work out all the same based on the type? Well, yeah, it does work out the same, but for different types of insulation requires different amount of insulation in that cavity. So some insulations have a higher R value per inch than others. Exactly. Point in place, let's say closed cell foam as opposed to open cell foam. Open cell foam is 3.6. Closed cell foam is 6.4 per inch, which makes a big difference. Now, also what plays into this is the ability of the insulation to also seal, seal out all those drafts that are getting in. I guess foam or dense pack might be a better candidate than, say, bad insulation. Right. It's an air sealing. And air sealing is basically where you feel a draft from cold air blowing through or the, or the warm air getting out can cause problems. But air sealing is key. So important to consider both the R value and the air sealing capability of the product you're choosing. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about a couple of installation uh, tricks to uh, to address some of the things that I commonly see wrong. Say we have fiberglass insulation in the attic right now. Perhaps it's level with the floor joists. Maybe you have 8 or 10 inches. You want to add a second layer, mm-hmm. faced or unfaced? Absolutely unfaced. The, the face on the insulation, the paper face, craft face, foil face, is basically a vapor retarder. And that vapor retarder will will stop the 
the air that's swollen with moisture in it, when it comes, it may want to go through the insulation, but that retarder will block the moisture from getting into that uh, insulation. Some may get in there. If you go over the insulation that you have with more paper face, you create a paper face between insulations. And you're trapping that moisture. Now you're going to trap it between the two, and the bottom layer of insulation will get wet. Now, what if your base layer of insulation in your attic is all, like, crushed and kind of, you know, worse for the wear? Better to just go over that or get rid of it and start over? I like to take it out. Some people don't want to deal with it. You can go over it, but again, you want to go over it with unfaced insulation, fiberglass, mineral wool, or you can blow in cellulose or blow in fiberglass. More is better. If you have the room, you don't use the attic for anything, just pack it right up there. And, of course, the one additional point that so many people forget is that when you add extra insulation, you also need to have adequate ventilation for that to work right. Yeah, you want to make sure that you have a, a negative pressure to be able to pull the air out up, up high, but you also going to make sure that you have to have a positive pressure so that the negative pressure can work. So it, it's like a bottle that uh, has a hole in the. You try to suck on that bottle, you can't unless you put a hole in the bottom of it. So the practical way to that might be with soffit vents that let the air in and then ridge vents at the peak to let the air out. Exactly. Yeah. Ridge vents, gable vents, or even a mushroom vents. Anything to up high because that's where the heat rises and it'll pull out. Tom Silva, the general contractor from TV's This Old House. Thank you so much for warming us up with great insulation advice. Always my pleasure. All right. Well, you can catch the current season of This Old House and Ask This Old House on PBS. For local listings and step-by-step videos of many common home improvement projects, visit thisoldhouse.com. And This Old House is brought to you on PBS by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Up next is a new kitchen on your list of DIY dreams this year? Well, doing this project yourself is possible if you get the right design to start. We'll have tips on a no-cost way to do just that after this. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. On air and online at moneypit.com, where you can subscribe to our podcast, also available on iTunes. Whatever you're working on, we'd like to help you get it done at 1-888-MONEY-PIT. Ben in Illinois is on the line and is having some issues with a water heater. Tell us what's going on. Over a period of time, my hot water stream would keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And 
finally got to the point where I turned hot water on, there was just barely trickle. I disconnected the discharge pipe on the discharge side of the hot water heater and found that the lime had built up so bad in the pipe coming out of the top of the hot water heater that there was just a very tiny hole there. Right. At that point in time, didn't know what else to do. I just took a very large screwdriver and tapped that limestone out of there. Of course, that fell to the bottom of the hot water heater. It's been fine for about four and a half years. It's getting to the point where I'm going to have to do it again. And I've talked to retired plumbers in that, and they told me that it, what's causing that is a reaction between the copper pipe and the metal that is uh, on top of the hot water heater. And I was told that there was a, like a nipple that you screw on top of the hot water heater and then connect your copper pipe. My question is, what type of metal is that that goes between the copper pipe and the metal coupling on top of the hot water heater? Yeah, Ben, all you want to do is head to a plumbing supply house and ask for plastic-lined nipples. That actually is going to create the um, sort of the bimetal protection or insulation between uh, those two pipes, and that will stop that corrosive effect uh, that you're seeing, and of course, they'll stop the pipe from clogging as a result of that. All right. Well, I sure thank you for your time and your advice. Well, early on in my home improvement career, I used to install kitchens. Now, mind you, these are not high-end kitchens, Leslie. They were basic kitchens and new developments where there were only like three or four different models. And I got pretty good at it, but I did also quickly find out that installing kitchens is a lot different than really any other kind of home improvement projects I'd done before, especially in that if you mess something up, the fix can get pretty expensive. So the process begs the question, should a homeowner be doing their own kitchen remodeling project? Should they be installing their own kitchen cabinets? Well, certainly, if it's done well, you can save money on the entire renovation. But chances are it will take longer than it would if you hired a professional. And if you make mistakes along the way, the cost to get the job back on track can be expensive, both in wasted materials and in the additional downtime that you won't have to be able to use that kitchen for. Yeah, you know, I think the point, though, is whether you decide to install yourself or not, the big idea here, guys, is that you should work with a professional designer, especially when it comes to the point of designing the kitchen cabinet layout, because one mistake at this point of the process can easily add up to thousands of dollars. Plus, unless you're doing this every day of your life, you're simply not going to be up to speed on the most current products or trends or even ideas that are just going to make your new kitchen spectacular and that kitchen that you're really dreaming of. You know, luckily, there is a way that you can get that professional help for free as well. Yeah, good point. And that's through ClickStudios.com. First of all, these guys make beautiful and extremely durable American-made kitchen cabinets. But they're also an excellent resource because they do something that's very unique. They offer a free no obligation design service, which basically means you can work with their team to design your new kitchen cabinets at no cost. You just go to clickstudios.com slash free and you sign up for the free design consultation and click is spelled C-L-I-Q studios.com slash free. And you know, this weekend, I just saw that Click Studios is offering an exclusive cabinet buyer's guide that's put together by the editors of this old house. I mean, who better to give you advice on how to buy and design a kitchen than the guys from this old house? I'm 
Am I right? So go right now to clickstudios.com slash free. Download the cabinet buying guide from this old house and then go ahead and sign up for your free cabinet design service. That's all at clickstudios.com slash free and click is spelled C-L-I-Q studios with an S dot com. That's C-L-I-Q studios.com slash free. Marion, Massachusetts is on the line with an appliance that's acting up. What's going on, Mary? The bottom fills up with water, and I mean probably an inch or two. But, like, say we run the dishwasher at night. Like, I got up this morning at 7. There wasn't anything on the bottom of the dishwasher. And about an hour later, it was filled. And it's been doing that, and we don't understand what's going on. We've had the hoses checked, to, you know, make sure they're not bent or anything or... But we can't figure it out. Okay, so have you cleaned out the bottom of the dishwasher? Sometimes the drain gets clogged. That's the easy fix right there. Oh, yeah, we've done that. (laughs) So you have no food particles there? No. So there must be an obstruction somewhere that's causing it. There's an obstruction somewhere in the line that's causing the water and the plumbing in that part of the house to back up, and it's just evidencing itself in the dishwasher. Have you checked the connection to your garbage disposal? Well, I don't have a garbage disposal. You don't. So it drains where? Does it drain into the trap under the sink, or where does it drain? Right, into the trap under the sink. Yeah, I think you're backing some water up there. It's going back up the hose and into the dishwasher. All right, then I'm going to have somebody come over. We did have someone come over. I don't think he's... Um, he, he honestly couldn't figure it out. He, you know, checked the hoses and make sure they weren't bent or anything. And he stayed for a while, and... Um, yeah, and it happened again. The, the water started coming in after he ran it. So if, if you're running it and it's not draining, then there's a different set of causes for that. It's either a drain pump or the drain impeller or there's a solenoid kit that has to do with removing the water. But if you're telling me this water is showing up when you're not running the dishwasher, then I think it must be backing up through the plumbing system. Okay, Mary? So I think that's a good approach. Well, wood stoves deliver comfortable and efficient warmth, but they can also deliver danger if they're installed too close to a combustible wall in your home. How close is too close? We'll tell you after this. Making good homes better, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Give us a call right now. We know you've got a home improvement question on your mind. Please share it with us at 888-MONEY-PIT. Hey, wouldn't it be nice to have hot water on tap anytime you like? Well, an instant hot water dispenser is simple to install, and it keeps hot water handy for beverages and cooking. It goes right under the sink, and it's available in a range of styles and colors. This is one very simple luxury that once you have it, you will appreciate all year long. All right, and since everybody loves sharing their questions about what's going on at their money pit with us, we've got one here from Natalie in Minnesota. And she writes, I have a fairly new wood-burning stove in my living room. It was installed according to the manufacturer's recommendations. My problem is it works so well that the drywall behind the stove gets pretty hot to the touch. Does half-inch drywall have a flashpoint? Yeah. You know, if you're asking that question, (laughs) I got to think it's probably way too close. I mean, the, the answer is not so much, you know, what the flashpoint is. I mean, because that's not what you want to monitor. What you really want to monitor is is the distance. Because if the distance is right, you don't have to worry about it. And how do you know how far 
or how close the stove should be to uh, a combustible surface like drywall? Well, first of all, if the stove is tested and certified like most are, um, on the back of the stove, there's going to be an information plate that's going to show very clearly how close that stove should be to that wall. Now, most of the time, it's going to say something like 48 inches, and you're going to think, well, that's going to put the stove out in the middle of the room. Well, yeah. But if that's where it's got to be, that's where it's got to be. If you do want it to be closer, there is a way that you could move it closer, but it requires the installation of a heat shield. Now, a heat shield can be constructed um, from a variety of materials, and they're all going to enable you to be a certain percent closer than what the stove is rated for. But conceptually, the way it works is you could build one, for example, out of sheet metal, fairly sh- uh, thick sheet metal. Um, and then you would build the shield so that it, it stood sort of off of that combustible wall by about an inch. And there would be a non-combustible spacer sort of holding that piece of metal off the wall. There'd be a gap at the bottom and a gap at the top. So what happens is as the warm air passes over it, it will sort of cycle and keep that wall cool. That's basically the way a heat shield works. They can be made out of metal, brick, tile, all sorts of material, but they've got to be made right um, and they've got to be made consistent with the recommendations of the NFPA, the National Fire uh, Protection Association, and the manufacturer of the stove. So if you're asking this question as to whether or not it's too close, the answer is it probably is, and you really got to address it because it, it could be dangerous. All right, next up we've got one here from Dina in Minnesota who writes, do you know what could cause my pilot flames to keep going out on my gas water heater? Yeah, pretty common condition and usually has uh, two causes. Number one, the thermocouple might be bad. Now, the thermocouple is a piece of metal that stays in the path of the pilot light flame. And what it does is basically tells the water heater, tells the burner, we have ignition. And if you didn't have ignition, you didn't have a pilot light. Like for blast off? Yeah. Well, you don't want to have a blast off because if you didn't have ignition, that gas would just be coming on and it could explode, right? So if the thermocouple is bad, that could cause it. And also just a dirty burner. You know, sometimes inside there, you get a lot of combustion deposits that drop down, sit on that bird or sit on that pilot light. And if that's the case, it may just be dirty. So next time you have your heating system serviced, have that done as well and get to the bottom of it. Both pretty quick fixes. Yeah. And then this way you'll stay safe and you'll stay warm. Where home solutions live, you are listening to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air, online at moneypit.com. Thank you so much for participating in this hour of the show. And if you've got questions you couldn't get through, remember, our lines are open 24-7 at 888 Money Pit, And we also welcome you to post your questions to the community section at moneypit.com. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. Money Pit.